Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live Saturday mornings from 9 till 10. Find us online at federalnewsradio.com or hear us on the radio in the Washington, D.C. area on the following frequencies, 1500 AM and 1039 FM HD 2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now, here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. It was a great graduation last week. Good. We uh, we graduated our first doctoral students. We had seven doctoral students receive their applied doctorates. It was a very big event. We ran three graduations: one in uh, one in Northern Virginia, one in Southern Virginia for those campuses, and one in Baltimore, all at the same time. Wow! And I I attended the one in Northern Virginia because that's where we had the applied doctorates. It's always the best part of the year. When we graduate our students, it really uh, is what education is all about. And it has been a huge week in technology, of course. Um, Bitcoin uh, is under investigation for market manipulation. And now they have analyzed it and they believe that the run up when you remember when Bitcoin went to twenty thousand dollars of Bitcoin and then it crashed down to seven. That run up to twenty thousand was manipulated by forces in the market mm. and so that is a I've, i'd always because it's a very you know the, the the number of bitcoins is not that large and so you can actually corner the market and you can manipulate the price that's what was going on mary meeker released her 2018 internet trends report i'll go through some of those trends quite interesting in california uh, has come up with a digital license plate. It's actually it's actually like a little miniature digital display, huh. and uh, I don't know if it's really a good idea, but it's <laughs> but you know it's California. This week we're going to feature the woman who pioneered reliable software techniques for the onboard flight software for, for the Apollo space program. Margaret Hamilton, she's a uh, was quite an innovator in the area of software development. And, of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. Yes, we got an email from Carl Tyler. Dear Dr. Schertz, I've been reading about the new DNS service, that's Domain Name System service, that Cloudflare is offering. It is supposed to be faster and more secure. Could you explain DNS and how Cloudflare can make DNS more secure for all of us? The installation instructions for running Cloudflare's DNS service is for computers, cell phones, tablets. Do I have to put the 111 in my router, too? Thanks for a great podcast, Carl Tyler. Well, Carl, Cloudflare is a new consumer-focused Domain name service. It started April 1st, 2018. Now, they do promise speed and privacy. I was looking over their website. Now, what they do, they've managed to make an agreement with uh, with the Internet Numbering Group, and they secured the domain, the number, the Internet, the IP address of 1.1.1.1, four ones, which they use. And so if you put in 
HTTPS 1.1.1.1.141s, <laughs> you will actually go right to the to the Cloudflare DNS, and it's it seems like a joke, but actually it works. I went right I went right there. Now they're competing with OpenDNS, which is a which is a paid service for domain name service, and Google DNS both exist. Now Cloudflare is focusing on privacy. And they promised, and so that's really their their big thing here. So let's talk about domain name systems, the domain name service. Whenever you type in a web, uh, say a, a website into your uh, browser, suppose Stratford.edu. Well, the internet doesn't really use English names; it uses, you know, a digital sequence of zeros and ones. It uses an IP address, which is digital. And so what happens is that you type in whatever website you want, like stratford.edu, and it sends that request to a domain name server. The domain name server says, oh, the IP address for Stratford University is this, and it sends back the IP address. And then your browser makes the request on the Internet to that actual IP address. And so you it's like a lookup table. And so if you want to do anything on the Internet, you've got to have a lookup table that converts English domain names or Chinese domain names or whatever language you're in to a particular digital uh, address. That's the domain name service. Now, the, D, the domain name service is typically offered by your Internet service provider. But many times... They don't offer a domain name service very fast. And so you sit there, you make the request, and then you wait to get the response. And then you feel like the Internet's slow, but actually their domain name service is slow. And so people started uh, using other domain name services. So instead of, instead of say, using the, um, the address of the domain name server that's given to you by your uh, Internet service provider, you put in another address for a domain name server and go out and make that request. So Google DNS came out. They Google just wants to make everything faster, so they, Google has a DNS service out there, which, uh, which is quite fast. There's Open DNS, which is actually quite good. But the issue is all of your requests are not necessarily erased on those DNS services, and people worry that, in fact, you may, um, that they may use it or they may sell the information they know. They say, look at this particular place. They're always requesting this particular website, and then maybe you'll, you'll get more ads. So Cloudflare says they wipe the DNS logs uh, within 24 hours, and so that's why they say it's more private, and they say it's... Um, it's faster because they are setting up um, in data centers all over the world Cloudflare, um, Cloudflare servers. So there's always going to be a, D- a domain name server close to you. So you, you, you'll, get, you'll get a very quick response. Now, Cloudflare DNS supports DNS over uh, TLS, which is one form of encryption, or else they, the standard DNS over HTTPS, which is the normal secure encryption that you have going to the websites. They support both of that. And um, and they they're <clears throat> I looked up their global response. You can actually go to some um, you know some websites that rate um, domain name servers. So for instance, 
Cloudflare's DNS, when they when they look at global response times, looking at looking at requests from all over the world, their global response time is 14 milliseconds. Um, the Open DNS, their global response time is 20 milliseconds, and the Google DNS uh, response time is 34 milliseconds. So in fact, the data shows that Cloudflare's DNS is the fastest one, and they purport that it would be the most popular one. So if you want to configure your home network to use Cloudflare, you do have to put Cloudflare's IP address into your router. So you have to go into your router, and, and there's a there's a place where you have to put in the uh, the address of the domain name server. So you simply put in 1.1.1.1, and and then all of your DNS requests will be will shoot out to them. You you can you can also reconfigure your cell phone if you want to use that Cloudflare service, and um, and what they're doing they they offer this to the consumers free of charge, but businesses have to pay, and so they make their money on the on the on the businesses and and they want uh, and so uh, but for consumers free of charge doesn't cost anything and they make their money on somebody else. So Cloudflare actually got very good ratings Carl so you could you could certainly use it without any without any problems I've I've tried both open DNS as well as Google DNS they're all they're all pretty good because the small differences in latency are are not really that great we got an email from Gene uh, dear Doc and Jim I have a Samsung Galaxy 5 no s5 phone. And I've been very satisfied with its performance for the most part. Lately, it's been doing some quirky things. If I choose a wallpaper, it keeps it briefly and then goes to other wallpapers without even telling me. It just reverts back to other wallpapers. And I don't like the look of those other wallpapers. It will suddenly enlarge the screen, and then I'll have a red line around the parameter. It'll be virtually unresponsive for a period of time. It corrects itself eventually, but this is very frustrating when one wants to use it now and, and, and I don't want to wait. Uh, also, why does Google Assistant just keep popping up? I don't want Google Assistant. So huh. if, if I want it, I'd rather click on the icon than have it keep popping up and asking me questions. Well, um, Gene, many people are complaining about this wallpaper reset uh, on the phone, on the Samsung phone. That is, it seems to be a big problem. Now, there are a couple of ways to, to handle that problem. You could wipe the cache partition because it... it Cache partition, it basically remembers, temp- it, it, it has, it's a temporary storage location, and, and it remembers prior settings. And you just may want to wipe out all prior settings from the cache partition to keep it from resetting. And if that doesn't work, you can reset the phone. So people have had both methods work. Wiping the cache partition is probably the best because if you reset the phone, you got to reconfigure everything because you're you're going back to factory desalt, which means you got to set it up like a brand new phone, which is a pain in the neck. Now, if you have a backup of your phone, you could actually reset it and then restore it, uh, and then you don't have to do all that. But it's just a little bit more complicated. Now, to wipe the cache partition, you need to use the Android system recovery sequence. Now, you follow these steps. Turn the device on, off, and then press and hold three buttons. This may make it complicated. The volume up key, the home key, and the power key. So you hold three buttons, volume up, home, and power. I'll have this written down. Then 
As, as soon as the phone vibrates, you release the power and home key and keep holding the power up key or the volume up key until the Android recovery menu displays. And then when it displays, it'll take several seconds to come up. You just simply scroll down until you see to the line that says wipe cache partition. And then you press the power key to select that. It'll wipe. And when the partition is complete, the system will reboot. Now, that has worked for a lot of people. So that uh, that's what I would try first before you do the re reset. Now, also, you're frustrated by this Google Assistant. Well, here's how you can turn off that Google Assistant. you got to open up the Google app, and there's a little sort of hamburger menu on the top left. It looks like a little hamburger bun. Click on that. And uh, it, I mean, it looks like three parallel lines. You click on that, and then a menu will come up. Click on settings, and then you select your feed toward the bottom, and then simply toggle off the feed, and then you won't get it. So you want to go to the uh, Google app, and then you click on the three bars up the upper right, click settings, then select your feed, which is near the bottom of the options. Touch the switch to the right of feed and turn it off. And that will turn off your Google Assistant. Actually, a lot of people have complained about that, too. So you're not alone. You've got company there. We got an email from Doug in Baton Rouge. Dear Dr. Shirts, hi to Jim and Mr. Big Voice. Could you explain? Yeah, could you explain the role that crystals play in computer timing speed? I understand that crystals generate a certain frequency, but how's that amplified to the gigahertz range in computers? How many different clock rates are there in a personal computer, or is there some sort of other mechanism that creates a computer speed? The first electronic general-purpose computer's ENIAC was a 100 kilohertz clock. Now, in the Intel Pentium 4, they had a clock rate of 3 gigahertz. Since then, personal computer speeds have not improved much beyond 3 gigahertz. The, and so are there, um, are, are there more clocks in there? How, how does this... How does this all work? It seems like the chip manufacturers have the ability to create integrated circuitry with 16 nanometer size. So the clock speed should actually be faster. What's holding back the clock speed on these things, and how does all that work? Well, first of all, Doug, there is only one master clock in your computer. Only one. Because if there would be more than one master clock, you'd always, have, you'd always be trying to How could synchronize. you have two? You have to be yeah, you can only have one master. Yeah, I mean, if you have two masters, it just creates conflict. So there's only <laughs> one master clock, and it's controlled by a quartz crystal. Now, it turns out quartz is a chemical compound, silicon dioxide. And the interesting thing about quartz is that's piezoelectric. That means if you squeeze it, it generates a tiny current. So the opposite is also true. If you pass electricity through the quartz, it vibrates at a precise frequency. So they basically have this little piece of quartz. And as it vibrates, it generates a, a bit of electricity. And then they have feedback to the quartz crystal that keeps it vibrating at its resonant frequency. Now, since quartz does not expand or contract very much with temperature, it's fairly stable. So a typical quartz crystal operates at 32,000 times a second. That's, that's your typical thing. And, they, and the electronic circuits count the number of vibrations. And then if you have different clock speeds, they simply multiply that. So you start out at your base rate of 32,000, and you can multiply it, and you can, you know, to higher and higher clock speeds. So the CPU clock is simply a multiple of the master clock speed. 
Now, as far as processing speed is concerned, the reason we're not getting faster or we're not getting smaller devices is that we've reached the quantum limit. As they make transistors smaller and smaller, you see transistors, you know, depend on oxides that, that produce barriers to electron flow. You change the voltage and the electrons flow. But when it gets very, very small, the oxides don't provide much of a barrier to the electron. They can tunnel through. You know, they, it is so thin that they tunnel through. And once you start getting tunneling effects in the transistor, it doesn't have the normal behavior. So they're reaching they're reaching um, the, the quantum limit. They can't go any faster. And how they've gotten around it is that they're making CPUs with multiple cores so they can do more parallel processing. They're also, uh, in the research, they're trying to stack it up and get a 3D, a, you know, a 3D uh chip that will have uh, higher device density without going smaller. But I think this multi-core thing is, is going to be is probably the, the way we're going to go. Like, you know, the Intel chips now have five, set, five or seven cores in them all running in parallel. We got an email from Rick in Niceville, Florida. Dear Dr. Shirts, I need to replace my external hard drive, and I'm considering my cloud home by Western Digital. Is this a good product or are there... Comparable, comparable products out there for home use. Also, does my cloud have a security protection to prevent hackers from accessing my home files and pictures over the Internet? Because it's my personal cloud. You, you can access it over the Internet. As a suggestion for a person to feature on Tech Talk, if you already haven't done so, perhaps you could highlight the father of the disk drive, Reynold B. Johnson, the American inventor and computer pioneer, who I was a, we have done. You've him. done that years and years and years we ago. We have yes. done it. Maybe maybe With time for a maybe we'll resurrect him again. Might have to. Yeah, his other inventions include automatic tech scoring equipment and video cassette tape. Yeah, we have done him. He's an interesting guy. Maybe we'll bring him back up. Well, um, Rick, the Western Digital MyCloud Home device have gotten really good reviews. Now, I'd make certain that you get my MyCloud Home dual drive. Now, the dual drive is set up as a RAID 1, which is a uh, RAID is a way to have multiple, uh, multiple um, d devices uh, connected to your uh, computer, multiple drives connected to your computer. And if you're running RAID 1, it means that the two drives are exact mirror of each other. So when you store something on drive 1, the same thing is stored on drive 2. RAID, by the way, stands for a redundant array of independent disks. And RAID 1 is simply runs two drives that are mirroring. Now, that's a true backup system, Rick, because you see, I mean, disk drives fail. But it's very rare that two disk drives fail at the same time. So if you're running RAID 1 and one of the disk drives fails, you just pull it out and put in another disk drive, and then all the data from the surviving disk drive is copied to the new disk drive, and, it re and the RAID reestablishes itself. So you have a very robust backup system if you've got a dual-drive MyCloud home system, home, a dual-drive MyCloud home system. If you just have a single drive, it's not really a backup, so you've got to also leave all the files on your computer. So you, all files you want to have at least two places because hard drives do fail. Now, if you want to get a bigger level of protection, uh, you know, you you may want to have a backup at another location. Like suppose your, I mean, suppose your house burns down. Yeah. Then the, and you got and your drives in the house. You're going to that. So so businesses typically have backups at another location. 
and that that gives you even a more robust backup system. Now, like a lockbox at the bank, or what do they call those? A, um, you know, the um, yeah, people used to keep their valuables at the bank. Yeah. What do they call those boxes? Yeah, let's see. I don't know. Uh, uh, it, it'll come to me in a yeah. minute. Sorry. Yeah. Safety, Safety deposit. deposit. Thank you, Andrew box. Mitchell, with the tip in. That's right. That's why we keep him around. That's right. Now the four, among other reasons, the four ter- now a four terabyte dual drive is three hundred nine dollars. A sixteen terabyte dual drive is six hundred ninety nine dollars. Those are actually pretty good deals. Now another competitor to this space is Seagate Central. However, its single drive system it's only a single drive system and it's capped to four terabytes. Now reviewers love the Seagate Central because it's designed to work as a whole house central media library. For sharing and accessing video games. So you can put all your media, all your music on that drive, and you can share it all over the whole house. Uh, by the way, uh, Western Digital issued a firmware patch in March and April of last year. So you want to make sure you got the latest firmware patches on there before connecting the Internet. They did have some security issues, but they're fixed. So the bottom line is Western Digital MyCloud dual drive is a good choice. You know, safety deposit boxes, a lot of times they're fireproof. And mm-hmm. so if you even have a safe at home, generally those are fireproof. Yeah, so I guess you, you could, could. You could do that. You could. I mean, it's not maybe not the most It's another thought. economical yeah. choice, but yeah, that's one another, thing. I guess I've never heard of a hard drive inside of a safe, but you know we'll have to think about that. I have a, I have a coworker who who we were talking about computer disposal the other day, mm-hmm. and he takes all of the drives out of his computers and saves them, so he can get rid of the box. But he so he doesn't have to worry about anybody getting his data, mm-hmm. and if he has a failure, he's got he's got that drive that he can just plug in somewhere else and get, you know, what he needs off the old drive. Uh, yeah, I mean, I do that too, Jim. Uh-huh. But so now at home, I've got this. How many of these do you have? Uh, about eight. Really? And the, the it's thing, not a bad idea. It's not a bad idea. It doesn't but, take up that much space. Yeah, but you know, but then you got to put them in, and then the technology changes. So it it's so such a big project. But I but they're there, and if I want them, mm-hmm. and so but it's one of these things that it's too good to throw away. So I just keep them, and they just keep accumulating. But yeah. that is, if you get rid of your computer, take out uh, the hard drive. Of it's all the stuff that you save, that's probably a good thing to hang on I'd to. I'd say so too. But now I've, I've become cloud based. Ah, the cloud base. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu. We'll get back to you immediately or certainly at the next show. It's Saturday morning, and this is Tech Talk Radio Heard in Washington, D.C. on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2. Watch us do the show, download the Periscope app to your device, and follow us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. Ready to make a real difference in 2018? A degree in cybersecurity, digital forensics, or networking and telecommunications could help you secure your future as you help secure the world. Stratford University is now enrolling for 2018. Classes start January 8th with career-focused IT degree programs to fit your busy schedule on campus and online. Let Stratford's experienced IT faculty share their industry knowledge and practical solutions to help you succeed in one of today's most 
most sought-after fields. With accelerated classes and year-round program starts to help you earn your degree faster. Register today at stratford.edu slash 2018. That's stratford.edu slash 2018, where you'll also find details on Stratford's limited-time $15,000 IT scholarship competition to help you achieve your degree goals. Get complete information now at stratford.edu slash 2018. Stratford University, changing lives one student at a time. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with well, Tech Talk Radio. Jump the gun there, pal. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... Profiles in IT. He never jumps the gun. He Sometimes never. he totally misses his I cue know, altogether. He's, he's not smoking anymore, so I think he's improving. <laughs> Today we're going to feature Margaret Heafield Hamilton. Margaret Heafield Hamilton led the team that developed the onboard flight software for the Apollo space program, and she coined the term software engineering. Ah. Think about that. Now, Margaret Hamilton was born August 17th, 1936 in P. Paoli, Indiana. Yeah, Paoli. I think that you Paoli, think you Indiana. Yeah, you know, normally I think of Paola, but this is Paoli. Well, you're on radio, so you probably shouldn't mention anything <laughs> yeah. about Paola. Okay, Paoli, Indiana. Um, you know, it's interesting. Back when she was writing code, it was viewed that men did the hardware and women did the software. It was like software is viewed as clerical. So all in the beginning, all the women were the ones writing the code. Huh. It's, it's really kind of an interesting social evolution that we, that's gone on there. Mm-hmm. Margaret Hamilton, born, uh, oh yeah, she's born August 17th. She graduated from Hancock High School in 1954. She received a Bachelor of Arts in Mathematics from Earlham College in 1958. Then she taught high school math and French until her husband graduated from college. After he graduated from college, they moved to Boston to study abstract mathematics at Brandeis University. Mm-hmm. In 1960, she took an interim position at MIT to develop software for predicting weather. Now she was she was predicting in the, she was running the uh, weather prediction algorithm on a couple of uh, computers, the LGP30 and the PDP1, and they were in the uh, located in the metro- meteorology department. From 61 until 63, she worked at Lincoln Labs, where she wrote software to search for unfriendly aircraft. Ooh. Yeah, it must have been a defense contract. She also wrote software for the Air Force Cambridge Research Labs. Hamilton then joined the Charles Stark Draper Laboratory at MIT. She eventually became director and supervisor of software programming for Apollo and Skylab. Skylab. I haven't heard of Skylab in it's decades. It's been a long time. Right? Now, they, they were responsible for the for the Apollo onboard guidance software to navigate and land on the moon and its multiple variations, including Skylab. Now, she developed the building blocks for modern software engineering, which is a term that she developed, because, you see, you could not have a software failure. I mean, you're up there, and you know, you're up there in space, and you just can't have the software failure. So she developed a testing methodology that would produce very robust software. 
She laid the foundations for something that was called universal systems language and development before the fact. See, universal systems language and development before the fact. In other words, you develop the fix before the failure occurs through extensive testing. That was DBTF. It was formal was a formal systems theory to create ultra-reliable software. She simulated every conceivable situation at the systems level to identify potential problems before releasing the code. Now, she also developed something called priority displays, where the software in an emergency could interrupt the astronauts, and it could display something that was very important. It was an asynchronous executive program, executive-level program that allowed the computer to drop low-priority tasks, even if they were, had been requested by an astronaut, and drop the low-priority tasks even when overloaded. So this, this whole concept of having an executive-level software that could set priorities whenever the computers are at risk of becoming overloaded. You see, they, and this was a real problem on these early space flights because they were running, you know, I mean, probably the entire processor in the Apollo had less processing capacity than our iPhone. I mean, it was, you know, back then it was a lot of power, but, but compared to what we have now, it was very minimal. So it turned out that this priority display system, whenever the system is overloaded, is extremely important. It present, it, her work prevented an abort of the landing on the moon. This is what happened. And this was because of her, and she anticipated this could be an issue. They were um, three minutes before the lunar lander reached the moon's surface. The computer was overloaded with incoming data. Too much data was coming in from all the sensors tracking where they were. And the computer was on the verge of being overloaded with incoming data. Now, due, because of its robust architecture that she des designed, the computer was able to only process the high-priority jobs that were needed to be done at that moment. And you know what the job was? Land the, <laughs> land the spacecraft on the surface of the moon the without crashing. <laughs> and forget about all this other stuff. Forget about telemetry. Forget about all the other stuff. Just do the critical issue. So the computer you know, was almost overloaded. It was reaching its breaking point. And had she not put in this priority uh, assignment system in place, they would have had to abort the, the plan. But it successfully landed, and it just selected the high-priority tasks. In 1976, she co-founded Higher Order Software and served as CEO. In '86, she founded Hamilton's Technology in Cambridge, Massachusetts, which developed the universal systems language for software design. The universal systems language is a computer language based on preventive instead of a curative paradigm. In other words, you prevent things from happening. This was her whole idea, you know, coming out of the space area. It was uh, U USL was created for designing systems with increased reliability, higher productivity, and lower risk. Hamilton has published over 130 papers, proceedings, and reports concerned with 60 projects on six major programs that she's worked on for the U.S. government. In 86, she received the, the Ada Lovelace Award from the Association of Women in Computing. In, 20, in 2003, received the NASA, NASA's Exceptional Space Act Award. 
she is one of the pioneers in software engineering, you know, laying out the whole framework for software software engineering. I mean, before her, they just it, they just said, well, it's writing code. Mm -hmm. And she elevated it to an engineering level. You know, you used a word uh, in that uh, piece there that you don't hear much, asynchronous. Asynchronous. But that was something, you know, do you remember watching the, uh, you know, the Apollo uh, launches and missions on TV and then mm -hmm. later with the uh, the space shuttle? Asynchronous orbit was something you heard all the time. Mm -hmm. So they would pass over the Earth at different times. It, was, yes. it wasn't like uh, synchronized with uh, the, the, the solar orbit. Yes. So, yeah. Uh, anyway, you, that, that, sorry, that just caught my attention. So For there no you go. Reason. Everything, everything you want to know about Margaret Heathfield Hamilton, one of the true leaders in software engineering. I mean, she, we hold her near and dear. One of our biggest programs at Stratford is a master's degree in software engineering. And mm -hmm. so we're still teaching some of the things that she developed many, many years ago. It is Saturday morning, and we hope you were paying attention to what the doc was just talking about because you can turn knowledge into edible items. Free lunch coming up here on the Pop Quiz on Tech Talk Radio, Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, uh, 103.5 FM HD2 and 103.9 FM HD2. Be right back. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio presented by Stratford University coming up in a moment. Ready to make a real difference in 2018? A degree in cybersecurity, digital forensics, or networking and telecommunications could help you secure your future as you help secure the world. Stratford University is now enrolling for 2018. Classes start January 8th with career-focused IT degree programs to fit your busy schedule on campus and online. Let Stratford's experienced IT faculty share their industry knowledge and practical solutions to help you succeed in one of today's most sought-after fields with accelerated classes and year-round program starts to help you earn your degree faster. Register today at stratford.edu slash 2018. That's stratford.edu slash 2018, where you'll also find details on Stratford's limited-time $15,000 IT scholarship competition to help you achieve your degree goals. Get complete information now at stratford.edu slash 2018. Stratford University, changing lives one student at a time. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Ross, Featuring Mr. Big Voice. With musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band. And your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. Please be seated. Please, please be seated. Okay, please, please. They're, you don't, know, they're, it's don't, summertime. They're all just so happy to be out of school. Please do not throw popcorn all over the control board. It's going to create a problem in here. Well, this is not just an air. This is not just a radio show. This no. is a classroom of the airways, and since it's a classroom, we are going to assess whether you've been listening to the show. If you get the right answer to our assessment, which of course is a pop quiz, you get tickets to fine dining at one of the Stratford University dining rooms. Earlier in the show, 
We talked about Margaret Heafield Hamilton. She, of course, was the team lead for the onboard flight software for the Apollo space program. She was, of course, uh, one of the first women who was writing code. What term did she coin that is still in use today? If you know the answer to the question, this would be a great time to contact us. If you're calling from west of the Rockies, why not move east of the Rockies? If you're calling from east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, the number is 877-936-9333. If you're contemplating lunar exploration in Canada, call us on the wild card line, 877-936-9333. And of course, as always, the international line is 877-9-3639-333. Your turn. And, of course, if you are trying to reach us from asynchronous orbit around the (laughs) Earth, you can connect with us on Skype. Simply connect to Tech Talk Radio 1, and your call will be forwarded to the studio free of charge. Well, that narrows the field. He's not finished. You know he lives for that every week. I know he does. He loves that. You know the new idea of the week? The California Digital License Plate. Now, this is a pilot program, and only in California. It allows Dude. you. To, it allows you to display a custom digital message on your plate. <laughs> and in addition to that, you know, when you re-register this- your car, the. The the registration automatically shows up on the on the license uh, plate. It just because it's a it's just a digital picture. This will end in gunfire, no doubt. And so and so you you, you don't have to put like registration stickers on that. It, they also track you at all times. Oh, Orwell was right. Yeah, that's right. Now the the plates are essentially e ink, similar to what's on the Kindle. And when the car is in motion, the license plate looks very standard. But as soon as you stop. A custom graphic comes up, whatever you would like it to be, <laughs> and then as soon as and then and then the license plate sort of goes up into the corner of the display, and you have some custom graphic, and it will display any kind of message uh, wh- whenever you want to stop. Now the Department of Motor Vehicles is conducting a pilot program in the Bay Area uh, with Reviver Auto that makes the plates and is about to begin marketing for uh, you know to be sold at dealerships. Some businesses will use these as mini billboards. When they stop, the license plate will turn into a little advertising billboard. Now, here's the thing. Now, and if your car is stolen, here's the thing. Your report is stolen. Your license plate automatically has stolen written on it. Whoa. <laughs> they, and, of course, they can track the car. This they, is better than LoJack. They can, tra- they can track the car. So if you don't mind having the state track your location. Well, once I mean, the, once the bad guys figure this out, the first thing they do is going to be ditch the license plate, right? See, what I'm thinking is these guys are going to are going to hack these license plates, and ever and whenever they want to go on to the express lane without without uh, without their little express lane pay uh, RFID chip, they simply blank out the license plate. Yeah, see, I, I could see something doing that. Now, here is the issue. This was mm-hmm. why it's only in California. These plates cost. Six hundred and ninety nine dollars. Are each. you kidding me? So that would be for two plates. That'd be fourteen hundred dollars, and you then mean, and then you have to pay a seven dollar uh, a month a monthly fee. So you have to pay for I don't you know California. I don't think they use a front plate in California, do well, they? I don't know. Well, let me check that out. Yeah, but but maybe you'd want a front plate so you could have more advertising. <laughs> 
So, but I can't imagine paying seven hundred dollars for your plate and then paying a monthly fee of seven dollars, and then letting the state track you wherever you are. So I'm thinking this is going to be something that's going to die a slow death out there in California. Mm-hmm. Now maybe some of the Silicon Valley guys will get it because they just want to have the fancy license plate. This comes directly from the California Motor Vehicle Code. Code Vehicle registered in California must display valid license plates as evidence of current registration. Passenger vehicles must display two license plates, one in the front, one in the rear. Okay, so it's $1,400. So it's $1,400. bucks, $1, and then it's $14 a month, you know, uh, fee uh, on uh, forever. So I'm thinking I'm not going to get the digital license plate. Uh, I'm just not going to well, do that. Well, first of all, you have to move to California. I wonder how far it's going to take for the, how long it will take for this to proliferate across the country. I think at that price it's going to pr- proliferate nowhere. <laughs> um, hey, guess what? What? Uh, everybody must be at the beach because they're not on the phone. Why don't you ask the question okay. once again? Earlier in the show, we talked about uh, Margaret Hamilton. Of course, she was the on, she developed onboard flight software. She led the team for the Apollo space program. What term did she invent? Which is commonly in use today the the number to call again if you and i mr big voice vanished because he he actually would tell us the number but he's gone i can't find him it's 877-9369 wait a minute 936-933-877-9369-333 so if you're not completely confused by now it's 877-936-9333 now here we go let's let's there's a new Feature in Photoshop, which I think is pretty neat. Have you ever gone to some monument and there are people walking all around and you would like to get a picture of that, say, the Taj Mahal without any people? Yes, yes. Not particularly the Taj Mahal, but yes, I've I've, I've stood places and waited and waited and waited for people to clear away from something. So Photoshop has a way to eliminate all the people. So what what basically you do is you take... uh, you, you put your camera on a tripod so it doesn't move, and you get maybe a cable release so you don't move it, and you just click about eight pictures as people are walking around. And, and the idea is there's always going to be, at some time, no person in, in a front partic- of a particular fr- area. There'll be an asynchronous, asynchronous right. orbit. And so that you basically, and it takes about eight to ten pictures, and you ba- and you, but you have to be very careful not, not to move it. Then... What you do is then, once you have these 8 to 10 pictures, uh, you then go into Photoshop, and you open up Photoshop, and you go to File, and they have something called Scripts, and then Statistics. This is a new feature, File, Scripts, Statistics. Mm -hmm. And then in the Image Statistics pop-up window, select the files, and so then you you select the files, the 8 pictures that, that you want to, you know, that you want to use. And then you choose the stack mode, and you and you ask it to automatically align the source images just in case you did have submotion, and click OK. And in a few minutes later, you will get an image without any people. Mm-hmm. It automatically puts them all together and gives you a picture without it, without any people. What a great idea! So there's a uh, there's a uh, a YouTube video. It, it works beautifully well. There was a, I was watching a YouTube video where a guy did that. So. I'll I'll have this full description here on the so if you've got Photoshop you can take pictures of monuments without any people. We don't have 
a winner. So let's do this. Why don't you ask the question again? Okay. And we will we will take a break and we will come back. All right. So earlier in the show, we we're talking about the woman who developed the led the team that developed the software for Apollo, Margaret Hamilton. What term did she make up, which is currently used now in all sorts of uh, schools around the world? Will you allow me to throw out a second yeah, question? Yes, you can. Uh, since no, okay. So the project that she worked on for NASA, essentially <laughs> the big one, what was it that it allowed Apollo to do? Okay, so that's the other question. Okay. 877-936-9333. And we'll be back with more of Tech Talk in just a minute. Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. Ready to make a real difference in 2018? A degree in cybersecurity, digital forensics, or networking and telecommunications could help you secure your future as you help secure the world. Stratford University is now enrolling for 2018. Classes start January 8th with career-focused IT degree programs to fit your busy schedule on campus and online. Let Stratford's experienced IT faculty share their industry knowledge and practical solutions to help you succeed in one of today's most sought-after fields with accelerated classes and year-round program starts to help you earn your degree faster. Register today at stratford.edu slash 2018. That's stratford.edu slash 2018, where you'll also find details on Stratford's limited-time $15,000 IT scholarship competition to help you achieve your degree goals. Get complete information now at stratford.edu slash 2018. Stratford University, changing lives one student at a time. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. And, you know, here on Tech Talk, there is no penalty for turning in your homework late. Okay. It's better late than never. Yes, because indeed. we do now have somebody who would like to play our little game. And let's go to line one. This is Charlotte, who is calling us from Glendale, Maryland. Maryland. Good morning, Charlotte. How are you? Good Yes. Earlier in the show, I talked about Margaret Hamilton. She, of course, was led the team that developed software for the Apollo. What term did she coin that's still in use today? Software engineer. That is correct. That is the correct, correct. answer. Very good. Charlotte, thanks a lot. Hang on the phone. We're going to send you back to our hall monitor, Andrew Mitchell, who will take all of your pertinent information. Okay, let's continue on with the show, Doc. Yes, let's talk about Bitcoin. You remember uh, in Bitcoin had the uh, big run up to twenty thousand dollars back uh, back in uh, last year or sometime, and then it's now come down to seven thousand. You can see the run up. I've got this chart here for our you know for the video. Hold that thing. up too, you, so uh, you can watch us on home see, garden see that, television. See, yeah, see, that's almost that. Wow, like, that's in, that's impressive. It just shoots right up. Well, now <laughs> the uh, and so people said, "Hey, I'm we the, are on Periscope. We could hold it over oh, to my Oh, that's iPad. right. Here we go. Here we go. There that's we, a Periscope extra. Uh, just another. It's it only extra. you know thirty feet away. That's you can right. see it real well. So the professors at University of Texas in Austin on Wednesday last last week published a paper where they analyzed the cryptocurrency Tether. Now, this is another cryptocurrency, and the influence that Tether 
had on Bitcoin and other cryptocurrency prices. Now, these professors concluded that the price patterns were consistent with a supply-based hypothesis where Tether was used to provide price support and manipulate the cryptocurrency prices. And it turned out that as it was going on the rise, Tether was being released and taken back, released and taken back, and it was actually... And they actually ran a, a mathematical model and showed that they were able to manipulate the Bitcoin prices. And see, Bitcoin can be manipulated because it's a very limited supply of Bitcoins. Now, Tether's a cryptocurrency supposedly backed by the U.S. dollar one for one. So Tether is very locked in. Each Tether is worth one dollar. And so it offers stability. But it, uh, it offers the stability of regular currency, but the flexibility and functionality of cryptocurrency. The, but the cryptocurrency Tether was created by the same people behind the cryptocurrency exchange Bitfinex. And it was Bitfinex, they believe, that was doing the ma manipulation. Bitcoin rallied by over 1,000% against the dollar last year, peaking at over $20,000 in December. It's, it's since collapsed to 7000 the paper looked at the relationship between Tether and the price of Bitcoin from March 2016 to March of this year, and it focused specifically on March of 2018. It concluded that Tether seems to be used to both stabilize and manipulate the Bitcoin price. Since that time, we have learned that the U.S. Justice Department had begun investigating Bitcoin price manipulation and, in, and uh, the U.S. Commodities and Future Trading Commission has issued a subpoena for Bitfinex and Tether last December. So we'll see what's going to happen there. But I always did think that Bitcoin was subject to market manipulation, which is why I haven't put my life savings into Bitcoin. Matter, well, you're a wise man, and you're also very cautious, so I can understand. Uh, exactly. Mm -hmm. you know, I, I'd hate to buy a Bitcoin at 20000 and now it's worth seven. That would, have that, just, would be bad. that would be bad. Mm -hmm. Mary Meeker has released the 2018 Internet Trends Report, and she works for uh, Kleiner, Perkins, Caulfield, and Byers. She's a partner there. And every year she does this big report. Now, it's a giant two, 294 PowerPoint slide Whoa, report. Okay, deadly. now... <clears throat> I'm going to give a few of the highlights. I'm not going to run through all. <laughs> Thank two, you. I'm not we only run, <laughs> have uh, 10 more minutes. <laughs> I'm not going to run through all 244 slides. Now, here, here are some of our major conclusions. 2017 was the first year that smartphone unit shipments did not grow. Wow. The same goes for Internet growth, Internet user growth, which, which, was, which grows 7% in 2017, down from 12% the year before. So Internet growth and cell phone growth is beginning to flatten off because we're, you know, we're, we're, getting, we're getting global saturation. People are increasing the amount of time that they spend online. U.S. adults are spending 5.9 hours a day on digital media. Oh, my media. God. Five. Almost six hours a day on digital media in 2017, up from 5.6 hours the year before. 3.3 of those hours are spent on mobile. Mm. It turns out the global average of selling price for smartphones continues to decline, even though we've got the $1,000 iPhone X. The overall smartphone market is declining in price. Mobile payments are becoming easier to complete. China continues to lead the rest of the world with over 
500 million active mobile payment users in 2017. Voice control products like Amazon Echo are taking off. Echo's installed base grew from 20 million in the third quarter of 2017 to 30 million in the fourth quarter. It's going off. Tech companies are caught in the great paradox. They were caught using data, quote unquote, to provide better computer experience. And, and on the other hand, violating consumer privacy by selling that data. And so they're, they're, they're caught here trying to figure out how to work their way out of it. Tech companies become a large part of the U.S. business. 25% of market capitalization is tech companies. E-commerce is growing. Uh, up, it grew 16% uh, up in 2017, up from 14% growth in 2018. So things are actually getting faster and faster and faster. And the uh, you know, last comp- thing that she said, immigration is important to the U.S. tech industry. More than half of the most highly valued tech companies in the U.S. were founded by first- or second-generation immigrants. So you can find Mary Meeker's Internet Tech Report and look at all 297 pages if you so Care. desire. We are getting ready. This is something that I think you're going to just hate to hear, Jim. We're getting ready for one of the biggest economic and social shifts in the last hundred years. The Delphi Group. Okay, what do you think? Oh, yeah, of course you're reading ahead, so you may have a clue. I'm not reading ahead. Okay. I, I, because it would ruin the fun. So what do you think is, what do you think it's going to be the biggest social shift, economic and social shift in the last hundred well, years? Well, uh, I think because we have this ongoing dispute, yeah. there'd be fewer cars on the road. Is that yeah, what you're That's exactly right. The mm-hmm. Delphi Group projects the number of automobiles on the road on 2015 will be 15. 2050. By 2050 will be less than 15% of what it is today. In the U.S., it will drop from 250 million vehicles in 2018 to only 33 million in 2050. I find this really hard to believe. In 30 years, the number of cars will decrease by 85%, but the number of hours driven will increase by 400%. Because it's ride-sharing vehicles yeah. and people are just hopping in and out of the Autonomous mm-hmm. electric vehicles require 90% less maintenance. They can achieve 80% utilization. Uh, you know they can you know they can operate 23 hours a day. They don't they don't need parking garages. They don't need parking places. They can become platforms platforms for entertainment, for shopping, for socialization. They'll reduce traffic accidents by 90 percent. Imagine a fully autonomous vehicle which will be available on demand where and when needed. These op these op- these vehicles will operate without any downtime. Now, the sacred cow, Jim, which is your sacred cow, of individual ownership of vehicles will become a novelty for collectors and for, you know, people that want to race cars for sport. You know, um, uh, you better race out and get that uh, California uh, license plate uh, as soon as you can. Yeah. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. It's the Jetsons. That's what you're predicting. That's what's going on here. This is the thing. Let's look at it now. The typical car now is Mm. idle most of the time. It spends 90% of the time in the garage. Really? Yeah. 90% of most automobiles of their time is spent in the garage not being used. And so people are paying the full price of the car, but only getting 10% of the time out of it. It's a, what are you it, supposed to do, drive around the Beltway all day? I mean, no, come on. It, you, you gotta, that was not the you, point. You I, have to turn your car into a timeshare. Ouch! But then it, and then you use it up faster. There's almost there's only so much usable life in it. Yeah. So the so what we're going to see is that uh, 
is that we're going to see a movement, first of all, to autonomous vehicles. First, it's going to be autonomous trucks first. We're going to see trucks first because that's yeah, an easier job. That scares the hell out of but me. But then <laughs> the autonomous vehicles, they expect when we go to fully autonomous vehicles that we will reduce, we will save more than a million lives a year because we'll have fewer traffic accidents. I'm really, really very quite skeptical of this. So, well, 20, yeah. 2050, Jim, you know, I think it's going to be here. Okay, like mm-hmm. uh, I just, I just want to leave just scare everybody just, just a little bit well, more. Well, you did that. Oh, okay. good, some more, excellent. Cars with key fobs are vulnerable. Beware. Mm-hmm. A group of researchers from a Beijing-based security recently pulled off the so-called relay hack. With a pair of gadgets built for $22. What it does, <clears throat> one hacker holds a device a few feet from the victim's key. So what they do, a victim will go in uh, to you know, put, leave his car in the parking lot. They'll see where his car is. And one guy will follow him in. And, and you know when, you're, when your key gets close to the car, it just unlocks it automatically? If so, you have a really good car. <laughs> so they... Uh, yeah. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so so he will so one guy will walk behind the owner of the car that's got the key fob in his pocket. And that key fob will interact with it and it will detect the signal from the RFID chip that 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 is used to uh you know to 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 activate the car. It sends that signal by by virtue of radio signal RF to a receiving device that a guy a guy standing by the car it relays the signal to this receiving device and then it transmits it to the car so the car thinks the key fob is right by the door you see opens the car they can start the car and drive it away amazing and this and you can do this for about $30 worth of hardware oh, man. so here's the deal if you're really worried about that you can wrap your car up into some sort of rf like aluminum foil. Yeah. You know what they're also doing? get a doing? matching helmet. They're also doing sometimes they'll walk around the periphery of the house and they'll try to detect a key fob in the house and then they'll steal the car out and the out in the driveway. That's crazy. So just I just want to just, you know, just to, you know, close that, our show out on really a happy note here. Not that we have here. nothing else to worry about. <laughs> so that's called the key fob relay technique which has been very very successfully used and it was very very successfully used in China and other countries. So expect it to come to the U.S. You're not going to steal my car because I don't have that kind of fob. They'll, they're not going to steal it that way, though. No, they're not going to steal it that way. No, they'll pick the lock if it's got a regular key. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. And make certain you go and check out the programs at Stratford University. Go to stratford.edu, check out the programs, and say, we heard about those programs on Tech Talk Radio. <laughs> Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.